Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent. I was asked to talk in a more general level about what's involved in trying to drive change inside of a procurement shop that's often going to be involved with a technology project, but it can be even on like the policy development, the process improvement, and ultimately any actions we take, whether we're currently implementing a technology solution or not, are going to feed back into this ability to have this change agent approach. And you know, we've been involved in uh, several e-procurement projects, both either in terms of the scoping or implementation. And ultimately, benefit realization is about people and how people uh, drive and interact in these tools. So it's a mindset and a skill set. We need individuals at all levels of the organization to help procurement organizations to grow and to perform in unprecedented times. And it's a whole of the office responsibility. I mean, I always really enjoy getting to talk to NIGP and it's a blend of the frontline and the leadership and the people who've been there for 30 years and the people who are on the way up. And so this isn't to one person. It's about anyone in an organization can be a, an agent of positive change, regardless of where you are. So it's been a long 18 months since uh, COVID came. I used to work for the state of Texas and when we were in the emergency operations center, the IT folks and the procurement folks were often to the right in the uh, emergency operations center. COVID brought us to the front and the center because supply chain was the core of the problem. So it really drove and elevated procurement to the center of the problem. And so first that was PPE and then vaccine and vaccine distribution. And now ARPA is a different element, but it's going to also put pressure on procurement shops to be able to execute on tight timelines and with a lot of external scrutiny. But in the COVID era, of course, we know the vendors were stretched. We couldn't depend on a single vendor on, on any of our longstanding vendors to necessarily be able to meet and fulfill. And so we had to stand up new vendors who had to be pursued and vetted and new processes built on the fly, new systems built on the fly. And then logistics also became a real responsibility of purchasing in the sense that in the past, purchasing could assume if they placed an order, they would get an order. But under this paradigm, we had to both try to secure the supply and then make sure it actually made it into our warehouses. And this was all the, while all the traditional work was being done. So we didn't have a difficulty in executing our car contracts, but then once all of our people moved away from the car contracts. Now, suddenly we had a crisis. And then today, if we're trying to source cars, the traditional supply chains constraints that were in that PPE and the COVID side have bled into traditional sectors. So if you guys have tried to source vehicles recently, you know that computer chips and cars are creating a constraint as well as the shipping supply issues in the Gulf. So what that collectively means is that we're poised at a new plateau. Uh, a lot of automation did happen during COVID and more will be on the way. So procurement in many cases was considered to be core internal infrastructure, like the facilities or the security, and had never anticipated leaving the building. And then suddenly they were told to leave the building. So a lot of things that have been put in place from governance that are longstanding held beliefs like paper bids and blue ink on signatures or the signatures don't count, notaries on every page or else it's not legal. A lot of those melted away. They either melted or they transformed to allow 
this ability for electronic implementation to occur. So technology improvements that might've otherwise literally taken generations happened in quarters. So procurement did demonstrate that work could happen remote. And so a lot of the kind of things that I'm really looking forward to listening to uh, Andrew and Victor talk about are how to solidify some of these changes and these gains and drive it forward to where procurement really is a strategic asset within their organizations. So this mindset that I talked about, so a change agent helps a procurement organization move to a strategic stance by a handful of things. Looking for opportunities to gain time by eliminating drag, use time to create some of the strategic capacity that really lets us lean into automation and really drive that strategic capability. And then make sure every time that a staff person touches something that it's creating maximum value. So there's a hundred examples of eliminating drag. I described a few of them in a slide ago where I was talking about blooming signatures on pages and, and that sort of thing. It's just critically examining whether the processes that we're following, whether they're still justified and there still is a basis for them, or is it something that's carried forward from the past and we can't really explain it, but we continue to do it. So drag is both processes that no longer are relevant or hold us back from being able to automate. Another example of drag is when we do individual transactions because that's the way it's always been done. And if we were to example, say we did a hundred catering solicitations in the last quarter or the last year, could we take those and turn them into a master contract with task order type purchasing? If it's the similar vendors and it would make it easier for the end user, easier for the vendors. And importantly for this conversation, automatable, because we can't automate three phone call bids for catering, but we might be able to automate a service catalog related to a catering service. So when we're doing single transactions, when we could have really examined whether there was enough commonality to create something new, it's that cutting the lawn with scissors. It's not that there's anything wrong with cutting the lawn with scissors, but we can't do it at scale. So an example of that would be, where are we generating the most transactions that we don't have a master contract? And does that signal a weakness in our contract portfolio or a gap that we should address in order to be able to automate that more in the future? When we talk about procurement being a strategic asset, purchasing, of course, is incredibly important and it's the core beating heart of a procurement shop. But in and of itself, it does not help to create procurement to be seen as a strategic asset or a compelling career destination for the next generation. So when we talk about how do we build capabilities and enable the procurement shop outside of the grind of the transactions, that involves things like how we look at our policy and process. Are we able to then build training that associates with it to help teach our end users how processes work, make sure that our purchasing staff knows how to do market analysis, alternatives analysis. Just because we've always had these four contracts for fuel doesn't mean that that's the only way we could ever purchase it. So what are the alternatives and what would be the sourcing plan if we did that to communicate it at a business level to executives? Driving up to the highest expression of that, which is category management, managing at the level of the overall spend of which contracts are a component, but really thinking about all the transactions and all the potential that transactions that could happen in an area and being thoughtful about building an ecosystem, which would include system style solicitations, task order style solicitations, that, that catering example I said a second ago. 
That then leads into, could we express our contracts in the form of a catalog? Could we make it so that the purchasing process that we deal with the complexity and the difficulty of the process in order to make it simple for the end users that expresses itself in the form of a catalog that then is the driving heart of a procurement automation project and project management. So maximum value from every touch. Sometimes our staff can be afraid when we talk about these kind of changes or the automation. The Does this mean that I am at risk by these projects? And I think that leaders need to speak to this topic, you know, speak plainly to the topic that each staff that we have is finite and precious. We need every staff person and trying to improve processes to make the maximum value out of every person is not an effort to, to reduce our line staff. It's an ability to make sure that each touch has multiplying value. So when we're doing work, can we build a tool? If we're going to have to do a template, can we build a template that can then be automated, whether that's through an Adobe form or a send-in? Can we make something that drives self-service, that takes that complexity and makes it simple where we allow the end user to operate at their level of expertise? And if a touch has limited value, if it's one-to-one, I did this, I made a three phone call and I executed that work. But if we look at and we say, can we do more with this action? Can we get more value out of when we did it? Then it will allow us to really assess cleanly whether the process should be redesigned or if it's needed. Is it, Are we adding value with the step that we're doing? And critically, I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, the great resignation. I, I did a speech on this for NAEP yesterday where I think there was 25 million people that resigned their jobs in the first part of the year and up to 40% are, are considering it. So we need to be really aware of how the work looks and feels with our staff and build something that allows them to really build in a career path. So um, if they're asked to absorb our inefficiencies, then they'll eventually opt out of the work. So uh, one person can lead by example, can create small wins, can make this value case, can create the innovation opportunities for strategic goals of the entity. And some people on this line may say, well, I'm not in charge or I can't drive. There's a lot to be said for leading without authority, really thinking about the ability to spark change, to spark conversations, and set examples for others and how you have stance and really expecting a lot out of the function as a, and then being willing to shoulder part of the work to get it to that place. So I'm a fan of the theory of constraints, uh, which is expressed through this book, The Goal. It's a good sort of novel style business book if you haven't read it. So basically this book says in every organization, there's one place, one constraint that if you were to focus on it and raise it, then you would raise the whole capacity across the organization in a change agent mentality, really giving thought to what is the one constraint in your organization that if it improved, it would flow through the rest of the program. And I like theory of constraints because it's very focused. Some of the other methods to come at work can all, can topple in on themselves sometimes because they're too big. This I think is a way to really say, what's the most impactful place that we could make difference? That's it. And in our chat, leading without the title can be more effective because you can set your ego aside. And sometimes you can make those who have the title think the change was their idea. It is absolutely so that leadership can come from many places in the organization. And so don't think that if you can't do everything, that you can't do anything. Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. 
And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent.